The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 263 for June 12th, 2011. Apple shows off iOS 5, Sprint increasing 4G upload speeds, and HP announces the release of the touchpad. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. The show is also supported by The Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and the iOS for $1.99. And also this week, the Cell Phone Junkie podcast app for the iOS has been updated, bringing with it continuous playback, minor bug fixes, and full support for the iPad. Hit the link in the show notes to download the universal binary to take advantage of the app for both the iPhone and the iPad. Well, first up this week, my review of the OtterBox Defender series for the iPad 2. OtterBox has been providing high-quality cases for my various smartphones over the past few years, so it's only natural that they were the ones I turned to for protecting the iPad 2. So currently, the only option from OtterBox is the Defender series, though it's not going to be something that you want any other way. As with the other Defender series cases, it's got three layers of protection. A thin, clear membrane covers your touchscreen to help prevent scratches and dings. It also has a hard poly carbonate skeleton that surrounds the device and finally it's wrapped with a silicone skin that absorbs bumps and shocks it's available from otterbox.com for $89.99 so the price is a little bit high but this is truly the case for you if you're someone who takes your ipad on the go and you want to be comfortable with it as you're you're walking around or you want to set it down on a surface now one of the things that i i thought was so unique about the ipad 2 of course was the smart cover the cover that allows you to you know magnetically turn on and off the screen and roll it up to create a a way to have it in a typing mode or viewing a videos mode or what have you that is not functional with this particular case so keep in mind that if you do get uh, this defender series for the ipad 2 you cannot use your smart cover with it however it does come with a what i'll call a cover for the screen and this clips on or snaps on to the front of, of the device so that when you've got it in a bag or something it's got some protection some very very serious protection on the front of it that snaps off and then it's got a little hinge inside of it that allows it to function as uh, either a way to type on it or some, a way to view it. So it gives you those two different viewing angles, just like the smart cover does. So if you're someone who's you know uses that quite a bit, uses that functionality, it, you can still get that out of the Defender series. But keep in mind that it's it's something that you're going to have to get a little bit. It's a little bit of a change in how you you're going to be able to use this here. It does add some weight and bulk. That's been one of my things with tablets has been the weight, and and so the eight ounces brings it up to nearly two pounds. Um, so your hands will get more fatigued with it. That was something I noticed almost immediately when using it. And also it does add thickness to it. Of course, it is a case. It will almost double, maybe even triple the thickness of the iPad too. So that is something to keep in mind as well. This is not just something that you're going to slap on the back of your, your iPad to protect it when you set it down on a table. This is something where you're not going to feel concerned if you're walking down the street with it and you drop it. It is that solid and that good. And I'm sure that the folks over there don't want you throwing your iPad around. But at the same time, this is a way to to really give yourself a cheap insurance policy when you when you're using this very expensive, very um, fragile device. I mean, you see all these drop tests, whether it's companies like you know Square Trade or or whoever that are that are trying to to prove a point, and it's so easy to break this thing. So if you're looking for nice, solid protection. Check it out. Thanks to Otterbox, of course, for providing the case for our review. Joey, this, is, this has been a pretty impressive one here, and I, I'm pretty happy with it. 
The only thing I don't like about it, of course, you can't use a smart cover over it, even though it has protection for it, and you don't have the, the magnetic capability, correct, with the, the case, the, the, the front cover that they include? Correct. There is no magnetic, uh, you know, turn on and off the screen or anything when you, when you pull that off. So, no, that does not work. But the one thing that I was really glad you showed me uh, before we uh, started recording here is that it does have the tripod style functionality where you get the two different, the, the flatter angled up and then of course the kind of a set on your table and watch a video mode where it has that support in there that's a uh, i was thinking that you didn't have that uh, capability in there at least when i first you know thought about oh it's not a box uh, for an ipad but but you'd be losing the great functionality of the you know the the stand but you, you didn't so that's really great that they included that I find that I actually use that quite a bit. I just leave this on my desk and in the, the mode, uh, you know, where it's, it's propped up. And so I actually can pop over to it when an email comes in and, and respond to something or whatever. Or if I don't want to, uh, you know, don't, don't want to leave it there on the desk, I can easily pick it up and, and don't have to unflip the smart cover to, you know, to do stuff with it. So pros and cons, definitely, though, if you're looking for a great case, I, I highly recommend it. Um, and not just because of the review, but I, I, this is truly a pretty neat one. Um, so if you're, if you're looking for something, check it out. Uh, we'll put a review or link in the show notes to the review. You can also access it over at the cellphonejunkie.com. Click on reviews. So let's pop into the news. A big week for news this week. First off, Apple on Monday kicked off the week with the 2011 WWDC Developer Conference and the keynote featuring Steve Jobs and other Apple executives. The presentation focused on three main topics, Mac OS X Lion, which is now just known as OS X Lion, iOS 5, and iCloud. They started it off by discussing the growth of the Mac over the last year, stating that 28% year-over-year growth has occurred, while PC sales have actually fallen 1% during the same time period. Further, three-quarters of all Mac machines sold today are laptops. 250 new features will be coming in the new Lion operating system, including 10 showcased during the presentation. Those included Mission Control, Launchpad, and AirDrop as a few examples. The software will be available in the Mac App Store as a 4-gig download only. The cost is $29.99, and once you purchase, it can be installed on up to five machines. Uh, The developer preview is available, and you can head over uh, to, to download it starting in July. They have not announced an exact date, but we'll put a link in the notes here as well for where you can read more about it if you're interested in lion you know that uh, download only thing that's good and bad you know what I, I i'm almost surprised apple didn't still make the uh you know physical hardware to go get on launch day because you know those those crowds of people that go to and are all excited lining up in front of the apple store to get their new copy that you walk out of the store with that with that satisfaction that you have when you've got all the other people around you I'm surprised they kind of got rid of that because that usually makes pretty big news uh, as well so uh, I would think they'd still have that option because I would still imagine tons of people would go down there to be lined up to go get it. And at the same time, how many more people, how much more money are they going to make by having it available for download when all you have to do is basically two clicks and uh, you get the, the new software installed on your device? Yeah, but you do both. You, you have the launch at 7 a.m. Or, or whatever time the store is open, and then you have the download launch at noon. So just those first few hours, you know, you get the people to go line up and you get that uh, press, you know, with the excitement. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really surprised they, they didn't do it that way. The actual cost of the media and the production of the media and the people to sell that media and you add up all these costs and I, I don't know how much it is. I'm going to throw out a number. I'm going to say it's an additional, you know, 50% on top of what the cost was uh, that it's going to, that they're going to sell this for. They can now 
drive down this cost under $30. That's 99 cents more than Leopard was, right? That was $29 even. So $29.99 and you've got yourself not only just an upgraded operating system, it's really a very new operating system with, with all these new features and some pretty neat stuff. And, and I'm excited about it. I, I'm more excited about iOS 5, of course, but um, for those that are Mac users and you've got multiple machines at home especially, this is going to be so easy, only 30 bucks. It doesn't even have to be under the same, uh, the, the same user ID. So if you've got multiple people with multiple different user IDs uh, for their Mac app stores, you, there are ways that you can do this. And hopefully they'll be very um, open on how you can do it. But once you download that, uh, that image file, all you have to do is throw it on a, a network drive or a jump drive or something like that. And um, there you go. Take it and put it on other machines and launch it. Because once you've got that, the actual purchase of it is just to get that actual ROM. But once you purchase that, you can you can put it on up to, I think they say five machines. Five. Yep. Yeah. It's a really big update. So it's, a, it's definitely, I mean, the, the list of features is pretty staggering. Yeah. So next, Scott Forstall took the stage to talk about iOS 5. He announced that over 200 million iOS devices have been sold to date. iOS is the number one mobile OS with 44% of the market. For comparison, Android has 28% and RIM has 19%. All others, including Windows Phone and Symbian and WebOS, are only at 9%. Also, 25 million iPads have been sold in the first 14 months, along with 15 billion uh, songs through iTunes. On the application side, 425,000 apps are now available in the iOS App Store, 90,000 specifically for the iPad, and totals of 14 billion iOS app downloads so far. Through those apps, $2.5 billion have been paid out to developers, and there are now 225 million accounts with credit cards on file at Apple. Some very, very staggering numbers. And in the new iOS 5, 200 new features have been added, 10 of which were shown off to the crowd. First, you had notifications, newsstand, Twitter, Safari, reminders, camera, mail, a PC-free way to activate your devices, uh, game center updates, and the new iMessage. Outside of those new features, Apple mentioned AirPlay mirroring, Wi-Fi sync for iTunes when charging your device at night, uh, also new multitasking gestures, the LED flash now lights up for incoming calls and alerts if you choose, customized vibration patterns, hourly weather forecasts, swipe to delete songs and playlists in the iPod application, improved FaceTime quality, ID3 tags in the music that are now streamed over Bluetooth, showing up on your receivers such as your car, and a new iTunes Tone Store. The developer seed is available, and the OS will be available for free for those with the iPhone 3GS, iPhone 4, iPad, iPad 2, and third and fourth generation iPod Touch devices starting this fall. So some some big updates here uh, coming to the operating system. And uh, you know we, we talked a lot about it this week on the Unlock Show. We'll talk about that in a little bit here. But uh, one of the biggest things, I think, is, is how iOS 5 is really taken some of the functionality from the other operating systems that are out there, incorporated it into iOS, and uh, really taken away some of the advantages of the other OSs that were out there. Obviously, a lot of people really liked the touch interface of iOS, but they just wanted a little bit more as far as functionality, whether it was in the notification side uh, or whatnot, uh, maybe deeper integration with certain social media services. And that all has now come together, uh, you know, pulled from, a lot of people said stole from Android, right? They, they took a lot of the kind of the good things that were out there from Android and brought it into to iOS. Uh, also, you've got things like iMessage. iMessage is this, this messaging solution that allows for uh, free messaging between iPhones, iPads, and iPod Touches. 
no need for a phone number. It just is tied to an email address now and allows you to then use it over 3G or Wi-Fi and have the conversation be synced with every one of your iOS devices that are logged in. You don't have to. Uh, you can pick up whatever it is and, and message between them. It's a it's a pretty neat thing. Uh, comes with a lot of the functionality of BlackBerry Messenger. BlackBerry Messenger, of course, one of the main things people are clutching to their Blackberries for a way to you know to message back and forth without having to spend money on some sort of uh, you know instant messaging application or on text messaging or whatever and uh, they've just kind of totally taken that a reason to to buy a blackberry away from them and and i think uh, blackberry is probably kind of wondering what this is going to mean well it's a it's a big hit for blackberry and and rim and the 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 blackberry messenger platform you know they 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 took it one step further and integrated into the messaging application that you'd normally send sms's through so uh, basically, when you want to do instant messaging, you know, uh, you know, phone-based instant messaging, not you know, like Google Talk or other other of those services, you go right to this one application, and it it tells you whether or not they're on uh, the iMessage platform, or is it just going to go via SMS due to a different color button? But it, it's now integrated into one spot, which of course BBM certainly could have, but it, it's not. So that's a that's a plus right there. But you've got the magical, you know, delivered and read notifications on there and that's really what bbm excels at there's also some chat groups i believe Mm -hmm. uh so basically every single you know real good thing about blackberry has been overtaken there notifications now are better than blackberry because now they're more like android Uh, i was kind of surprised they weren't even more like WebOS um notifications i was actually really surprised they didn't take that there's still a lot of stuff missing uh, on Android and and the iOS five here that WebOS provides in the messaging arena, where just the the the, the nice way it scrolls the screen up and, and less obtrusive messages, even uh, even more so than the iOS five that still covers some of the screen up. And uh, you know, of course, it's the first revision, so I wouldn't be surprised if you know next year that they'll improve it a little bit more. So I was I was still a little disappointed by that, but but BlackBerry and Rim here, they must be really. Uh, really worried because this really takes a direct shot at at what they're uh, still clutching on to just a little bit of what what they have left and it, it's very unfortunate that we've gotten to this point with BlackBerry because it literally wasn't more than um, you know a year and a half two years ago that BlackBerry was still doing extremely well uh, up against the iPhone that had been out for a few years and the applications were gigantic at that time and even Android is kind of getting going at that point but still it was doing very well. And what what I, I finally figured out what really happened here with with BlackBerry and why it's changed so rapidly. It, it's it's what we we didn't get from BlackBerry with OS six. It was it was promised to be just the the greatest thing, where it was going to be uh, a major improvement on the BlackBerry, and it just wasn't. It it was such a letdown, and you know, and of course, no new devices really came out at all i mean we had the style in late october and then you know there was a a curve 3g but it was just a tiny little upgrade so we've seen nothing from them for uh, you know a year at least here and the web the or not the web was but the the os6 was supposed to be just this great upgrade and it just was uh, a complete letdown in fact in many cases it's a downgrade so i think you know everybody who had a blackberry and it, it, it attempted the os6 they were just let down and everybody's just leaving blackberry because it's just pales in comparison to what we have for the competition and and of course this ios 5 is just uh it's just steamrolled right over again almost 200 new features coming with this and so there's there's a lot that we can't talk about but some of the biggies you know pc free now we're, we're talking about like every other phone basically you take it out of the box 
and uh, you know, type in a few pieces of information, kind of like on Android, your, your your Apple ID and password, and it will start to set you up, uh, set your phone up. And if you've got you know other you know information or backups that you've done uh, in the past with uh, with a device, you can it'll start syncing automatically. If this is your first iOS device, it'll help you set up a, a username and password. And uh, then automatically get you right into the phone. You don't have to plug it into a computer for that activation process like the past, which this is something I think should have been there all along. It should have been there from the very, very, very first iPhone. I mean, absolutely. This this is a feature. I, it's, I, I mean, it's staggering that it was still like this. I mean, absolute stone ages. Uh, uh, it, I, there's no other way to put it. Same with the notifications. I mean, they're just, just ancient. I, I, it's baffling. I mean, like that uh, Android phone, the Nexus S, Literally, it was, uh, you know, I took it out of the box and booted up in 36 or no, 31 seconds. And I typed in the, the Gmail password and email's already there. I mean, it was set up, ready to go. I mean, under a minute and a half. I, I, what the heck? Have to connect to your computer? What is that? Yeah, there's so many people that use phones now, right, that are not... Uh, you know, tying them in with a computer, they don't feel the need to tie them into a computer. And, and, and Apple's built a pretty big ecosystem. Most people know iTunes, or at least know of, of iTunes, and, and maybe you've got an iPod or something, you, you, even if you don't have a smartphone. And so the fact that you can, if you decide to buy one now, buy an iPhone, you can just, you know, plug in your information, and it's going to start automatically, uh, you know, synchronizing the information that you have, you can go and, and pull the music that you previously have downloaded, uh, you know, to an iPhone or, you know, through your iTunes account, and you can download it then to the phone. It doesn't automatically pull all that information down, unfortunately, all that music. But then again, who, who really wants to pull down gigabytes and gigabytes of music uh, automatically, right? I mean, that, that just doesn't seem you know right. But um, you can also set it up now for automatic software updates, whether it's for the actual OS itself or application updates. Uh, there's also Delta updates that will happen now. So that whole ROM image is now not being downloaded to the computer. It's not a 600 or 700 megabyte download just uh, to load the OS on. It's just going to be what's changed uh, in that particular revision so that's kind of nice and uh, much much more uh, again I want to I want to push everyone who's interested more in this over to the unlock show uh, Joey and I spent uh, quite a bit of time I think uh, well over an hour talking about all of these changes and what each of these things mean uh, and, and how this is going to be changing uh, the landscape of mobile OSs when it comes to smartphones that are out there. So head over to the cell phone junkie and click the link for TCPJ unlocked on the right side and uh, go in there and subscribe. Check it out. Um, if you're not sure about our, our, our show, you can sign up for just a month. It's only five bucks. You can check it out. And if you like it, you can you can stay as a recurring subscriber. You can even mo- change your subscription over to a year. Uh, but this is the kind of stuff that we do. We take big announcements like this and, and we dive into pretty pretty deep uh, you know into them and talk about what's exactly happened uh, and what's changed with it so if you're interested in that make sure you check over head over and check that out and finally in their announcements iCloud came out Steve Jobs came back up to the stage talked about how devices and content has changed so much since iTunes was launched 10 years ago and said that it's time to make a change for how they do things because keeping devices in sync is driving everyone crazy the digital hub is now in the cloud for them things are sent from the cloud immediately down to devices synchronizing is happening automatically and it works completely integrated with applications. There's nothing to learn. It all just works. Those are Steve Jobs' words. Uh, Apple also rewrote Mail, Contacts, and Calendar. So it's very much the same as Mobile Me. Uh, no ads or anything like that, but they are all now free. On the application side, the App Store will let you download all apps on all devices, no extra charge. Uh, when you download an app on one device, it can now sync it over to all your other iOS devices. Also, if you read uh, eBooks through the iBooks application, they're now 
now synced, synced across all of your iOS devices. Basically, the whisper sync technology that the Kindle uses has now come to Apple. So what's interesting about these features, there's a quite a, you know, quite a bit of that is what you actually would have expected with the very first iPhone. Some of the synchronization and, and cloud-based stuff where if you've downloaded these applications, you'd expect it to be on the other ones. But, um, you know, this does take it to the next level, which uh, is a direct shot at uh, Google and the Android. Because just like when I was just talking about, you know, you type your Gmail password and, and uh, email address and it all of your information comes, your contacts and your Google voice and all the stuff is just populated the calendar. It's all there immediately. This is, this is kind of replicating that, but also taking it to a, a little bit, uh, slightly more sophisticated level, at least on some, uh, some aspects of it, especially when you're considering, uh, your other Apple devices, where if you have an iPad and an iPhone, you're going to have this immediate synchronization between them that like with the iMessage, you know, it's going to be immediately on there. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's something that they needed to do sooner, but, uh, it's good. They've got it out now. And of course, you know, the price really replicates the, the Google thing. You know, they tried the $99 for the mobile me and obviously that's just not going to happen because you can work around some of that stuff. Um, and, and, and this just, it, it really does give you a, an interesting, uh, Apple ecosystem that just wasn't there now. Exactly. And, and like I mentioned, under iOS 5, too, they have what's called Wi-Fi Sync, which, you know, this is one of those those things where it allows you to synchronize wirelessly when you've got your iTunes and your computer and your phone on the same Wi-Fi network. You can you can do that synchronization, synchronization right there. Uh, but what else they've done here is they've added data backup. So once a day, when you plug in your phone at night, as an example, all of your music, photos, videos, device settings, and application data are backed up to the cloud. If you happen to lose or break a phone, when you buy that new phone, you enter your Apple ID and everything will be pulled back down to it. So it's, uh, it's pretty unique uh, like that. And, and that, that reminds me a lot of kind of what the Google stuff that you're talking about, Joey, where it's just, it's happening there. You just enter in, you know, certain your, your credentials there and everything gets pulled back down. And that's, that is really what, uh, how this thing should work. So you don't have to, you, you can still do the management on the computer, but you shouldn't have to be so tied to it for every single thing you do with the phone. Well, completely. And that, you know, it also replicates BlackBerry too, you know, the enterprise servers, you know, all of your device settings, you know, how you've got your, you know, side button configured and, and how your, uh, your, your autocorrect text, you know, like for me, if I, you know, the, the shortcuts that you type in for the, you know, that gets pushed down from the, the enterprise server, it, it replicates a lot of that. And of course goes above and beyond with the pictures and the documents and the other features that they've added onto it. So it does give it a lot. Uh, it does give it a lot of functionality that we, we don't currently have, but of course makes it so much easier for somebody who doesn't even have a computer. I mean, your grandparents or your parents can easily now get an iPad, turn it on and start using it as opposed to, uh, why does it got a big plug on the screen? W- what does that mean? It really does change it to to a much more you know independent device. And having that independence is very important. Uh, some of the other things they had, documents in the cloud, iTunes in the cloud, uh, photo stream. So all your, your photos are now in the cloud where you take a photo on your iPhone, it, it sends it up to Apple, gets pushed back down to either your PC, Mac, or other iOS device. Each of these services will all be free. The iCloud comes uh, on your iOS 5 device by simply logging in with your Apple ID. It will be on by default, but it can be turned off. Five gigs of free storage for mail documents and backups. The latest version of iOS is needed, which means iOS 
4.3.3. So if you uh, don't happen to upgrade your your phone to iOS 5, you do need 4.3.3 to take advantage of of these other uh, applications that are out there. Um, Apple's new re-downloading feature is pretty neat. So if you you happen to have purchased something uh, in the past and it's no longer available in the App Store, uh, there has been, um, you know, people have shown here so far in Gadget uh, was able to download the application Tris, which is an old Tetris clone. It was removed from the App Store three years ago. They were able to go and get that. Uh, that is, though, limited to applications removed uh, for sale by developers and not applications uh, removed from Apple for infringement. So um, so you can you can still get some of that stuff, but, but not everything. Also, if you're outside the U.S., don't get too excited for iTunes in the cloud. Uh, you'll have to wait until probably 2012 before it comes to your region. Uh, the Telegraph in the UK says Apple's iTunes in the cloud it should be coming sometime in the first quarter. Finally, uh, Steve Jobs had the one more thing. It was iTunes Match. It's a way for Apple to scan your iTunes collection and find music that you've either downloaded from other sources, such as Amazon's MP3 store, or maybe ripped from a CD. They've designed software that's going to scan that music and match it up to music that's on Apple's servers. It'll be done in just minutes, meaning that you'll have access to every single song that's in your iTunes collection on any iOS device, and you can download that song to your device. Uh, It sounds like it's going to be just over Wi-Fi at least from kind of what they talked about. But the interesting thing is the match that they are going to make will upgrade the songs, even if you had an older rip from a CD. Maybe you've done this, you know, five, six years ago. I know I did it with all my CDs at 128 kilobits per second or maybe even lower. It's going to upgrade all of those to 256K AAC DRM-free music. So it assumes that you own all that music. It's going to give you access to download that DRM-free iTunes in the cloud. uh, And with iTunes Match will be available for $25 a year and it'll give you up to 20 thousand songs for that now there's one hitch it you don't actually get to keep that music when you let your subscription lapse to match it when you stop paying the 25 dollars, all that music is unavailable for downloading to your devices then that is true now I, i'm as i as i understood how we explained it though it's drm free so at some point you're going to download this music and get it on your device so there's got to be some uh, in, industrious person out there who's going to be able to take that iphone and grab all that music and pull it off and because it's drm free who knows maybe that'll be in just a you know a separate file then and then you've got the actual mp3s i don't know how that's going to work um this is more of a consumer facing hey you've got the song in your itunes now we're going to make it available on on your ios device you're not going to have to download every single song to and keep it in sync just whenever you want to listen to it go and uh you know hop on your your ipod there and and download it down and and there you go you're ready to go and and also 25 dollars per year is a very minimal cost i mean that's that's a few dollars a month that's not it's not even a few dollars like two dollars two dollars something a month it it's it's very reasonable to have access if as someone you have a, a very large mp3 collection especially the the origins of such maybe uh sketchy you know clicky poppy or or like mm-hmm. for me i'd ripped my cd collection uh with some earlier software that didn't do a very good job of uh of of ripping the discs themselves like exact audio copy does that i use now so there's a lot of skips and and, and misses in the discs so uh, you know, using this gets by that. And of course, for $2 a month, uh, you know, that's a pretty good deal uh, compared to going back and re-ripping everything. Yeah, I, I think so. I'm not sure that I'm going to do it just because, I, I don't know, I, I'm, I've kind of moved on with music. Uh, I, I don't manage my music like I used to. I only have about 2,000 
which is just a couple of percent uh, of the music that I actually own on in my iTunes because everything else I just I stream I get it all through Slacker and, and I, I can just you know whenever I need it be able to go and download it and, and listen or not even download it, just stream it I don't have to download it and so I like that model a little yep. bit better yep I do too I this wouldn't be a service for me either Mickey it's just uh, just a non-issue really yeah. but for two bucks a month not a bad deal. I think they've got something good here. A couple other quick things on MobileMe. They indicated the current MobileMe subscribers will get a free extension of their service till June 30th of 2012. At that point, the service will be shut down. And then using iCloud on a PC requires Windows Vista or Windows 7. Outlook 2010 or Outlook 2007 is also recommended, meaning if you've got XP, you're not going to be able to use iCloud services with your your computer. So just keep that in mind. Uh, So some pretty big announcements came out of the keynote. Now, shortly after that session ended, Apple pushed out some new options for automatic downloading in current versions of iOS. New features now allow you to download purchases, including free downloads made on other devices in the categories of music, apps, and books. You can also turn cellular to off, meaning that purchases will not be downloaded unless you're on a Wi-Fi connection, so that automatic downloads is now available uh, under iTunes under store. So overall, a lot of big announcements this week uh, You know, coming out of WWDC. We, we saw a ton of coverage the media was just all over this and everything that they've announced and so i you know we wanted to spend a a significant amount of time talking about it because we did feel it was important yeah and this is one of the bigger software releases i think apple's ever announced all in one shot here no hardware which is kind of unusual for this time frame normally at this time frame we would have seen an iphone announcement so in fact the rumors were true that uh a new iPhone wasn't announced here in the, in June, which does break with the cycle for, you know, that actually did happen. So this is very interesting. Of course, there was so much announced that the an iPhone just absolutely wasn't necessary. But what I find interesting about this is how now that we've had the iPad out for a few months, now we've got some new iOS 5 information coming out here talking about, you know, uh, such a big deal for both the iPad and the iPhone here as far as new software goes. Uh, it's really going to invigorate uh, the excitement over the iPad and the iPhone again right now. But the the fall release for iOS 5 kind of ties in then with uh, quite possibly then the next generation of the iPhone because uh, we have seen in the past where the new, uh, like iOS 4 last year was released with, I believe, the iPhone 4, I believe. Yes, you're absolutely right. And you just made me think of something as you were talking there. Do you think maybe it wasn't as much a we are pushing off the next update to the phone because we can we need a little bit more time on the phone to the opposite whereas we're still working on the software we're still working on iOS 5 we want it to tie in with the next hardware announcement so that's it's not going to be ready until the fall and so we're going to push off the device until then, uh, because it's only been a couple of days. It's only been a couple of days difference between when, uh, as an example, iOS 4 was available for people to download for previous devices, and then when they could just go purchase the actual iPhone 4 with iOS 4 on it. But yeah, I would absolutely say that they are going to be coinciding with each other sometime here in about three months or so. I think it's part of it, Mickey. I think it's kind of a a whole combination led into this uh, late, later iPhone release. I think part of it's the the absolute uh, phenomenal selling rate of the ipad 2 you don't want to step on any toes there they want to just keep that momentum going because that's the new product that's where you know the money's really at because it's a higher ticket item too by you know a good chunk so that's where their priority is at and that's you know a lot of the good features here with the ios 5 is really targeted towards the ipad as well um also we've got uh 
you know, the, the, the Verizon iPhone just came out, the white one just came out. So we've got those two things kind of, you know, if you release another version right away, that's going to really, you know, annoy some of the people who have bought those items, uh, those two devices, I mean, and then, and then we've got the, 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 the iPhone now is more mature and putting it back towards the, the holiday shopping season is a smarter strategy for that as well. So we've got, you know, there's a combination of that and you're probably right. And it's probably a little bit of the hardware. Maybe I'm not so convinced about the hardware delay. I think you're right. It's a software and it's the iPad timing, I think are the real big drivers for this is I, they just don't want it near the iPad release because it's such a, you know, it is a big device in and of itself, but the iPad really does take priority. We've got 12 months in a year. If we split that, we do six and six. We do one in the spring, one in the fall. It kind of makes people happy that are buying consumer devices and it's spread out a little bit more versus April, I got to invest another $500 minimum for a new iPad. And then just three months later, oh, I got to spend another $200 on an, uh, an iPhone. And so, yeah, break that up a little bit. And I, I think they've, they've got a better model here. And uh, you know, a lot of people are, are carrying both devices. Um, I see it quite a bit. Uh, maybe it's just the places I go. I don't know, but I see a lot of iPhone, iPad customers. Well, now with the iOS 5 and the, the cloud tie-in where when you take a, a snapshot with your iPhone, it's going to be immediately available on your iPad. I think that's going to increase that rate. And of course, that's exactly what those features are tied to, all these cloud-based features where it pushes directly to your iPad or your iPhone, uh, you know, vice versa. Those features right there are designed to get you to buy the other device that you don't yet have. I mean, it really is just clearly oh, you know, this will also be available on your iPad immediately and, and also your Mac computer to drive more Mac sales. So, you know, this iCloud just isn't for your convenience. It's definitely to say, okay, ooh, you know, this would be nicer if I could have this on my iPad right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm sick of talking iOS, so let's move on. we got some other great stuff to chat about this week. Following the latest report from the World Health Organization that we spoke about last week that cell phones may cause cancer, headset maker Jabra responded with facts about lowering exposure through the use of headsets. According to a press release, Jabra says using a hands-free device can reduce the exposure to radiation by a factor of 1,000, drastically lowering the exposure from a maximum of 2 watts from a cell phone to 0.002 watts maximum output for Bluetooth hands-free devices, and of course, 0 watts for for corded devices. The World Health Organization has put handsets on par with 240 other agents, including talcum powder, coffee, and eating pickled vegetables. So, Joey, there's your answer. You talked about it last week about well, what is the output power of a Bluetooth hands-free headset? It's 0.002 watts, which I guess would be, what, 20 milliwatts? or No, 2 milliwatts. 0.002. 2 milliwatts of power. So, uh, almost nothing. Yeah, there's still some there, but that's that's so minimal. I mean, you're you're probably getting more from sitting in front of a computer screen of, you know, radiation. So, anyway, Google, Samsung, and Sprint have begun investigating complaints from users about connection problems and the deletion of photos taken on the Nexus S4G, according to Sprint. PC World was told, we are aware of connectivity reports being brought forward by a small number of Nexus S4G customers. Google, Sprint, and Samsung are examining these reports, and though we have not yet been able to identify any specific causes, we are working to determine exactly what our customers are experiencing. Joey, both you and I, in in reviewing the Nexus S, absolutely saw some connection problems, whether it was 4G or 3G or uh, even low, uh, you know, Wi-Fi uh, signal strength. I mean, it just it seems like it's not quite there uh, is where it should be. Yeah, it really does. Uh, you know, for me, the 3G seemed pretty decent to me com- compared to my style. I, uh, something's a little crazy with my style, I think, because I, I, I'm 
really having trouble connecting in places I normally didn't have trouble with that. And the the uh, Nexus S seemed a lot better, so I guess it's uh, not all that bad on 3G side, but the 4G uh, seemed excessively weak to me. Yeah, and I was absolutely in the same boat. I had 4G in, I have a tower very close to where I work, and so I, I, I should have definitely been able to see it more than I did, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens with this. Hopefully they can get that fixed. Google this week announced that it will now allow you to port or replace your Google Voice phone number while keeping your old number permanently for $20. This will allow you to keep your old number on your account to receive calls and texts, though all outgoing calls and texts will still appear from the new number. A study posted by ABC News says that cell phones and other electronics may indeed be the cause of flight control interference. The report found that between 2003 and 2009, 75 different incidents were reported where electrical interference from personal electronics was considered a cause. 26 of the incidents in the reported uh, in the report affect affected the flight controls including the autopilot, auto thrust and landing gear. 17 affected navigation systems while 15 affected communication systems. 13 of the incidents uh, produced electrical warnings including engine indications. This type uh, the type of personal device uh, most often suspected in the incident was a cell phone linked in 4 out of 10. Uh, the report also included a sampling of narratives provided by pilots and crew members including the following autopilot was engaged at 4500 feet the autopilot disengaged by itself and the associated warnings and indications came on flight attendants were immediately advised to look out for passengers operating electronic devices attendants reported that there were four passengers operating electronic devices one cell phone and three ipods the crew used the public address system to advise passengers to shut off these electronics for their safety and the safety of the flight after which the aircraft proceeded without any further incident these, you know, these stories are very interesting. I, I, I definitely believe it, but sometimes it, it, it definitely seems like uh, is this kind of fishy because they don't have any hard evidence here, and they they really do say that they, they really don't know for sure. You know, there's so many cases where I've seen people take their cell phone and shove it in their bag up in their up in the storage compartment, and it's still running, and they don't turn it off before that, and you know this could also be causing interference. You know, I've, I've I do have a one particular. Um, story here that I have a radar detector in the car and whenever one particular Sprint cell phone, this is a model years ago, whenever it would get into a low signal area, it'd start searching for service. And every time this thing would start searching for service, I'd get blip on my radar detector uh, of uh, whatever band it was. And it would repeat this over and over again as the cell phone was searching. It took me like two months to figure out why my radar detector kept beeping during this time period. And it, I finally determined it was the cell phone uh, doing this. So it, it, it's, it's very possible that this is causing this kind of interference because when the, the, the cell phone searches for signal, it boosts its output drastically to try to get a, a tower to reach. So that's where this interference will come from, from a cell phone on a plane, because you're in, you're in a big tube way above the cell phone towers and, you know, it, it, it is very possible. Well, the correlation is definitely not confirmed. And, and John Nance, who's a former Air Force pilot, said that if an airplane is properly hardened in terms of the, the sheathing of the electronics, there's no way that interference can occur. Uh, and, of course, there, there are certain planes that uh, are out there that are older than others. And in the, the fact that their electronics and their communication systems may not uh, have uh, the, the current technology that's out there to 
you know, to protect their electronics from having this sort of thing happen could be part of the reason that they were experiencing these. We didn't have that data, so we can't exactly tell if that's the case or not. But in the meantime, uh, just another story, something to chew on as far as uh, what's happening in the air with cell phones. Michael Bloomberg on Thursday announced AT&T would soon be powering free Wi-Fi in 20 of the city's parks, including Central and Battery Parks. The service, which launches this summer, will be free of ads and open to anyone for at least the next five years. Media reform group The Free Press filed suit on Monday against Verizon, alleging the company is violating the conditions placed on the C block of 700 megahertz spectrum. The group says that Verizon is blocking third-party tethering apps from running on Android smartphones that use its 700 megahertz 4G LTE network. These types of apps have disappeared from the Android market last month, and they say that when Verizon purchased the spectrum licenses associated with its LTE network, it agreed it would not deny, limit, or restrict the ability of its users to access the applications and the devices of their choosing. Verizon says that they haven't done anything wrong and don't block users from accessing any apps. The free press says that Google removed the apps from the market due to pressure from Verizon. Verizon and U.S. Sailor filed paperwork with the FCC this week for a planned swap of Spectrum. The deal has Verizon giving U.S. Sailor 13 B-Block and 5 C-Block 700 megahertz licenses in Idaho, Illinois, Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Oregon, and Washington. U.S. Sailor will then provide two 10 megahertz licenses in the 1900 megahertz band in Illinois and Indiana. The deal will allow Verizon to expand capacity and U.S. Sailor to expand services into these markets. Well, one of our listeners this week stumbled upon a thread that is growing over at the Sprint community forums and explains how Sprint has reduced the voice and data roaming coverage they offer to customers by up to 70%. The thread was started back in April and has now 200 replies. Over the past few months, Sprint's coverage map has been reduced from what looks like a fairly uh, blanketed coverage of the U.S. to something that's reminiscent of the early 2000s. This change has a direct reflection on the changes to how the company handles roaming agreements, specifically with Verizon. As the user points out, on the voice side, this means that calls will still go through as normal, but will now be charged as roaming. However, the data services in these areas are now relegated to only one XRTT, and location-based services such as Sprint Navigation will not be accessible. Keep in mind that this does not affect any of Sprint's native 3G network, and most of the change comes in the rural areas of the country. However, if you happen to be in Montana, Nebraska, Wyoming, Nevada, or one of the Dakotas, the majority or the entirety of these states are affected. So this this is a pretty big deal for those that are in one of these states and, and roaming. You may experience some degraded coverage because of this. Well, and this is a prime example of why um, carriers uh, taking over other carriers is bad for consumers. You know, in certain cases, this is this is a result of the Altel acquisition by Verizon. Uh, Verizon, you know, does roam with Sprint, and we're still, you know, they, you still can with one XRTT. But all these areas, you know, the, like the Dakotas, for example, those were all Altel areas. And, and personally, I had great EVDO roaming wherever I was at in South Dakota in the rural areas. And now it's 1X. And this is why, because of the Verizon takeover. So um, it, it is very unfortunate that we lost all this 3G roaming. But uh, of course, you're not you know, paying for that and you're, you're not promised it. But, you know, when they do show you these maps and it changes this drastically in the negative it, it's it's not that good for consumers. I mean, it really isn't. 
Well, I'm going from the negative over to a positive. Sprint customers uh, that have 4G devices and have access to 4G networks may notice faster upload speeds starting soon. An internal screenshot shows that the speed cap is being raised from 1 to 1.5 megabits per second. Some devices, such as the Motorola 4G desktop modem, will be excluded and remain at the 1 megabit per second cap on the upload speed. But uh, good news there if you're someone who's got a handset such as the uh, Evo 4G or, or uh, you know, uh, there's a million of them out. Well, not a million. There's probably, what, half a dozen that are out there. Um, but if you've got one of these devices, you will soon be seeing faster 4G upload speeds. And T-Mobile on Monday announced that it would be offering for a limited time $200 for anyone switching from Verizon, AT&T, or Sprint. The service credit requires a two-year agreement and a smartphone line of service. Each bill credit is paid out over a 20-month period at $10 per month per new line uh, while the line is active and still in good standing. The first monthly bill credit will be applied after the line has been active for 90 days. Well, thanks to our first sponsor of the show, Square Trade. Protect your investment through a special offer from Square Trade. They offer prices 70% lower than in-store warranties. And if you visit squaretrade.com slash junkie, you'll get an additional 25% off your order. Go to squaretrade.com slash junkie, click on get a warranty, choose your device. And once you're done, you'll see your listener discount in the order summary for 25% off your purchase. Thanks to Square Trade for sponsoring this show. Well, 9to5Mac on Monday revealed that Walmart has dropped the price of its 16-gigabyte iPhone from $197 to $147 for a limited time. The promotion is active until June 30th, and it applies to both black and white models for both AT&T and Verizon. No initial word on the reason for the price reduction, but of course, a two-year contract is required. And TUAW on Monday reported that Apple has now hit 200 carriers worldwide that sell the iPhone. The company launched 14 additional carriers over the last two months leading to that milestone and sources for nine to five mac are saying that a new version of the iphone made specifically for the sprint network is now in advanced testing the design is said to be similar to that of the current iphone 4 and apple is currently in testing with it this lines up with a story last month of apple looking to hire a cellular engineering team in the kansas city area just next to overland park kansas the home of sprint the sources say that a 4g version is part of the project but depending on the negotiations the device would not likely come out until late 2012 if the device is to launch on the country's third largest carrier this fall chances are it will be 3g only and late on thursday a report came out that certain verizon models of the ipad 2 are being recalled by apple before they make it into the hands of customers nine to five mac says that apple has given the stores apple stores a list of serial numbers to scan and if there's a match are told to set aside the shipments and send them back to apple customers who ordered the model that have shipped directly to them have received a return to sender notice when checking statuses of deliveries with fedex duplicate mobile equipment identifier numbers were flashed into an extremely small number of ipad 2 units for the verizon 3g network is the word from apple most of the devices have yet to reach the market though a few have already been sold to customers apple declined to give more detailed information on the number of ipads recalled now, a few months ago, we actually did kind of hear some rumors of, of issues with the Verizon iPads, and that was kind of last we heard of it. And I wonder if this is related to that, whether they had kind of the same snafu earlier on. Um, I'm, I'm curious as to see what how they're going to address the people who already have uh, the Verizon iPads out there, because that that's totally left out of the story here on, on, on what serial numbers you need to have in order to be affected by this issue. If you happen to have a Verizon 3G model, and it sounds like devices that you've received recently, if you happen to have one and you're having issues with it, hopefully you've already talked with either Apple or Verizon, but uh, they should be able to do a check for you to see what is going on with it and 
you know, this just makes sense. It's kind of like having what two devices uh, with the this on or one device on two different plans, right? I mean, that's that's kind of what this would mean if you had you know two of anything and tried to with the same serial number tried to activate it on two plans. Only one is going to work. So even if you do have a dupe one, you may not even know about it. So because uh, it could be working for you, but uh, your clone on the other side of the country, you know may have a dead one. So who knows? HP on Thursday announced the U.S. availability of the touchpad beginning on July 1st. The first WebOS tablet will be launched in a Wi-Fi only version from U.S. retailers and direct from HP for $500 for the 16 gig model, $600 for the 32 gig version. The touchpad will be coming to the U.K., Ireland, France, and Germany a few days later and to Canada a few weeks later. Australia, Hong Kong, Italy, New Zealand, Singapore, and Spain will see the tablet later this year. Pre-orders for the North American and Europe models will begin on June 19th. AT&T was announced as a connected device partner for later summer launches, but no details are currently being released. I think the touchpad probably has one of the best chances as far as outside iPad 2 tablets, um, though as, as far as the functionality, the design, how people are, are going to enjoy the experience with it. Uh, my problem is, is depending on what carrier partners they have or what retail partners they have, it's going to be a wide swing from, you know, pretty widespread adoption for people who don't want an iPad to literally nothing because people don't know that it's even available. And I, I think that's what Palm is facing right now in, in, in the most of their issues with hardware. Well, and, you know, HP really will hopefully need to, well, hopefully will market this because, you know, I want to see this out there. I want to see it uh, competing with the iPad. I want to see the competition in the market. And of course, the WebOS is an, a, a spectacular OS. It's so good at multitasking. I mean, it does blow away the iOS 5 even because, you know, they've done nothing for the multitasking and it's really not a multitasking OS, at least compared to the WebOS, the way, you know, you can run multiple applications. They can be running at the same time, like the playbook can as well. Uh, this is, uh, you know, something that in its infancy here, it's not going to really be a real competitor to the iPad this year. It would be something that next year or, or you know, even a little later, once the applications get built and, and once the, you know, the core market starts getting built up, then it'll be something that's a, a real, that could be a real competitor. But we just really do have to wait and see. I mean, you know, technically the hardware and software will be very good, but but then again, it comes down to the the third party applications that that will make or break the device, at least in our, you know, current market right now. Looks like the commercial retailers that are going to have it are Best Buy, Staples, Office Depot, Walmart, Office Max, Amazon, Fry's, and some other uh, regional retailers. Um, so that's not a bad lineup. I mean, it really really hits all the places that you would hope to go, but who knows what they're going to do. Is Best Buy going to have a commercial you know, for the touchpad? Is, is Staples going to run a special on it where you buy a touchpad and you get a free, I don't know, you know, ream of paper or something, who, who knows what it is, whatever it is, are they going to do those types of things to really, you know, gain people's attention? Or is it just going to be another tablet in this lineup of ever expanding, you know, I don't even know what people are, the crap tablets or whatever that have just the, the, the absolutely awful, you know, you can get one for $200 and it, it's a, an awful experience that just happens to run Android. And, and, and are they going to look at this as something, you know, just like that? Or, uh, you know, is it going to be something different? It, it's still yet to be seen. There's no answer for it, but I, I, like you, Joey, I hope they do some some positive things to get some momentum behind it because they need it. They really do. And, and, you know, the consumers need it as well. I mean, we're getting down to the point here where it's just Apple, 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 Apple for, uh, you know, your mobile devices. I mean, sh- short of the Android and, you know, Android is, is a great system, but it's it's not 
as unified and not as controlled by one company like Apple is. You know, HP, of course, has the the pre's and this is their own operating system. They have the power to really create the entire ecosystem like Apple has created. And of course, they have a long way to go now because obviously now the iCloud announcement now blows the you know hp system away because they don't have that full icloud back end they did have some neat nfc and bluetooth related tie-ins between the pre and the touchpad but now compared to the ipad and the iphone ties in with icloud and the push support it's just you know it's just blowing that away but if you're someone who's out there and you're, you're shopping for a tablet um you know, are you choosing the touchpad or you just, you know, because or how are you even knowing these tie-ins are fine, but HP on the phone side, you know, they, they focused a lot of attention trying to draw out the pre into the pre two. And of course the pixie and the pixie plus, uh, you know, and, and then they come out, they say, okay, we're going to kind of draw a line and HP is going to take our devices moving forward. They announced it back in, in February, remember where they said, okay, we now have the smallest phone ever designed basically in, in the smart, in a smartphone uh, form factor. Uh, with the Veer, and then we also have the Pre Three, which is like the you know the high end super processor, got everything that you need, a great screen, full key, QWERTY keyword that slides out still. But they decided to come out with the Veer first. AT and T's got the Veer. To, you know, are people out there buying a Veer and going, boy, I'm you know what I need with this is a touchpad. You know that they're not they're not thinking that way. I don't think. No, they're not. And also, the the Veer doesn't contain those tie ins. It's the the WebOS three. And the NFC support in the pre three that'll contain all those tie-ins. So basically, it's still a non-issue with the Veer as far as uh, the connections to the touchpad go. But who's going to be so okay? So you go and you buy a touchpad, but then you're going to need to buy a pre three, which we still haven't heard about that. So uh, even if you're trying to make this tie and go all Palm or go all HP, uh, it's not it's not there. I mean, it's it's just not really accessible right now. Well, it's so early. I mean, the very first product cycle here of these of HP. I mean, really, this will be the first real HP release other than the Veer, which is still WebOS 2. So it's kind of half, it's half in there. Uh, so, I mean, it just needs a little bit of time to mature here, unfortunately. How long are people going to wait? Are they going to, they going to say, ah, I'll give them, I'll give them some time. Or are you going to finally get fed up and, and go and buy, you know, this beautiful Samsung Galaxy Tab 10? Or are you going to go buy an iPad? Or are you, you know, are just kind of skip everything that, palm is going to do just because you you need to get something out now and you don't want to wait six months before they get that development cycle up for the apps oh i I, you know i don't know it's a it's tough to say you know they may not even bother advertising this until they can get some you know major third-party apps to actually advertise it's really the chicken before the egg and all these things yeah this is the beginning of of hp's uh, you know, realm where they're they're releasing these devices, and and this is the first I think major one. The Veer was like a let's dip our toe in the water. This is diving right in. So I, I for their sake, I hope it goes well. Uh, you'll we'll be able to order it or uh, pre-order it coming up here in just about a week, starting on the nineteenth, and they're available on July first for purchase. Sprint on Monday announced the launch of the HTC Evo 3D and Evo View 4G, both coming to the carrier on June twenty fourth. The Evo 3D features a 4.3-inch QHD 3D display with a 1.2 gigahertz dual-core processor and Android 2.2 Froyo. The Evo View 4G is Sprint's version of the HTC Flyer, a 7-inch tablet that comes with a free Scribe stylus and 4G WiMAX radio. The Evo 3D will be $200 with two-year agreement. 
agreement in the View 4G is $400 after contract. Sprint Premier customers will be able to order the Evo 3D starting three days early on the 21st. Sprint and Motorola on Thursday announced two new devices, the Photon 4G and the Triumph. The Photon 4G is an Android 2.3 gingerbread device with a Q excuse me, a 4.3-inch QHD display, 1 gigahertz NVIDIA Tegra 2 dual-core processor, and similar to the Atrix, the Photon supports the laptop dock with Firefox browser like a laptop. The Photon features a 4G data connection over WiMAX, GSM and the HSPA World Roaming, 1700 megahertz or 1700 milliamp hour battery, 8 megapixel camera and front-facing camera, includes 1 gig of application memory, 16 gigs of storage memory, and a memory card slot supporting cards up to 32 gigabytes. It will be available in the third quarter of the year for uh, an undetermined price. The Triumph is an Android 2.2 Froyo device coming to Virgin Mobile. The phone features a 1 gigahertz processor, large 4.1-inch display, 5 megapixel camera, front-facing camera, HDMI TV output, and EVDO Rev-A 3G data. That will be available sometime this summer. Pricing was not released for that. Though uh, later this week, I did hear some interesting news. The Triumph uh, will be available in a non- uh, Moto Blur uh, format, which is actually something. Another thing that Motorola announced is that they are no longer going to be calling it Moto Blur. That's just going to be a Motorola phone with uh, some you know UI on top of it. But they're not going to have a name for it. Apparently, the bad connotation has got out so much that they said you know we're, we we want to get rid of this name. Uh, but if you decide to pick up the Triumph, you don't have to use that that skin. You can just go stock Android. They allow you to actually turn that off. So that's something that's new for Motorola devices up until now, whether it's, you know, the, the Droid X or whatever it is, you've, you've had to been stuck with uh, the, this Moto Blur, and, and that's really deterred a lot of people from po- purchasing a Motorola device. That's, a, that's great news. I mean, why not have that customizability to turn it off? Uh, it's, that's the way it should be. The way it should be. And uh, again, most or both will be coming here uh, within the next couple of months. No word yet, but... Um, you know, another great phone coming, uh, two great phones coming to the Sprint network and Sprint uh, Sprint partner Virgin Mobile. U.S. Sailor on Thursday announced plans for multiple smartphones and tablets coming to the carrier before the end of the year. The company said it would launch seven Android 2.3 gingerbread handsets, a Windows Phone 7 device, two tablets, and an LTE device by the end of the year. Five of the devices are said to be coming from HTC, with Motorola, LG, Samsung, and Huawei providing additional devices. No availability or pricing was given. Well, not an official announcement. The Samsung Mobile Singapore Facebook page was seen this week with a photo of an AT&T branded Samsung Galaxy S2 that's expected to be known as the Attain, but neither Samsung or AT&T have officially announced that device. If you're looking for a way to support the cell phone junkie, you can check us out at TCPJ Unlocked. That's our bi-monthly premium podcast. Five bucks a month, $12 for three months, or $45 for an entire year will give you in-depth conversations about the latest in cellular issues, interviews with industry experts, and like this week, talking about the latest in news coming out from the industry. Sign up is easy. Visit thecellphonejunkie.com. Click the link on the right side for TCPJ Unlocked. A big thank you to everyone that subscribes to the show. And like we said, we talked all about iOS 5, iCloud. We even talked a little bit about OS X Lion. So if you want to hear kind of where we think this is... Uh, what's happened here and what this means uh, for you. And if you're, you know, got iOS devices and going to be upgrading, here's, here's what we know at this point. So check that one out. Uh, it's a great show and uh, we're, we're, we're hoping that you enjoy it. So like I said, check it out. You only have to sign up for a month if you want to see what 
the unlocked experience is all about. Apple updated the Find My iPhone application on Monday to version 1.2. It's a 5.2 meg download. It is free and it features the ability to receive an email when your phone comes online if the service is not available to locate the device when you send out the request. Handy if you've got a Wi-Fi only iPad or an iPod touch and you need to know when it's available to be wiped. Apple on Tuesday released iBooks 1.3 bringing a read aloud feature to the software. Uh, the new feature is said to help children read, uh, learn to read with the feature and highlights words as it makes its way down the text. The update is uh, in the App Store and is very responsive when handling large books and addresses uh, an issue where some pages were displayed twice in older versions of the software. RIM on Tuesday made available an update for the BlackBerry Playbook, bringing the software to version 1.0.5.2304. The update brings with it BlackBerry Bridge support for AT&T and Verizon customers, Facebook's application, in-app payments, and further, uh, a number of performance enhancements have been made, including uh, charging improvements, language support, video chat enhancements, Wi-Fi hotspot detection, and headset audio boost features. Not specifically mentioned, but also seen in the OS following the update, is the application update notifications. Prior to the patch, the user had to open the BlackBerry app world to view if there was an application awaiting an update. Uh, Now the notification pop-up is presented to the user, allowing them to click through and update the application. The software is available through software updates on the device. Google on Wednesday announced the addition of live transit updates to Google Maps for its mobile product. The service will now update public transportation customers of when trains and buses arrive and if there are any changes to the planned schedule. The service is available in Boston, Massachusetts, and Portland, Oregon, as well as San Diego, San Francisco, Turin, and Madrid, California. The service is available on Android devices running version 1.6 and higher, along with mobile web browsers and Google Maps on the PC. Google on Wednesday added a new feature to the Android market, allowing developers to list which handsets their application will work on. Until now, developers have relied on the text areas of the description to inform users of incompatibility, so it will now list which devices it will work on, which is a pretty neat feature if you're looking to download something and you don't know if it's going to work on your device beforehand. Uh, Verizon this week released software updates for the Samsung Droid Charge, bringing bug fixes and other improvements. The fixes include improved battery life, easy return calls within the call log entry by pressing the phone icon, audio has been adjusted, accurately detecting and connecting to LTE has been improved, USB mass storage mode is now automatically recognized, as well as GPS improvements and a few other items. And Microsoft on Tuesday showed off new features in an upcoming Mango update that will be available for Windows Phone 7. Revealed were updates to the SkyDrive cloud-based server, bringing the availability to store and search documents and share stored photos via email, text, and instant message. In a question to Mike Torres, a Microsoft Group Program Manager for SkyDrive, he was asked, is there an MP3 file on on the SkyDrive, or if there is, is it possible to stream it to the phone? He responded, with MP3s, the Office Hub will not work to stream your MP3s, so no. Nothing was announced relating to a specific application to manage the content on that SkyDrive. And Microsoft also announced that it would be shutting down a number of services available currently on Windows Mobile 6 devices starting on July 15th. On that date, Microsoft will shut down the desktop version of the Windows Marketplace for mobile website, though the Marketplace will still continue to be available on handsets. Then on August 7th, Microsoft will shutter its MyPhone backup service and move users' contacts, calendar entries, and text messages, as well as photos, over to the SkyDrive. Finally, on October 6th, the MyPhone website and service will be shut down permanently. Currently, the HTC Touch Pro 2 
LG Fathom and the Samsung Jack are among five devices available from carriers that run on the older Microsoft operating system. Let's move on to some questions and comments. The first one comes to us from Ian. And Ian says, as an Android phone user, the Droid X on Verizon, my monthly data usage goes from six gigs to a peak of about 11 gigs of data. My wife, however, uh, pays mostly games, plays mostly games and does text and email and probably only uses about 100 megs a month. The average data usage for Android phones must have one heck of a curve if some of us are using so much. The only problem that I see is the new data plans sharing offer is that the implication that unlimited data plans would be going away. I can easily see sharing a data plan for low usage devices, but I would wager that anyone with multiple devices is better off not sharing their data. Regarding 3G coverage, I've heard many anecdotal accounts of AT&T service being non-existent along certain areas of highways between Houston, Austin, and Dallas, Texas. 3G coverage gets lost on leaving these city areas. Meanwhile, Verizon gets 3G service most of the way. If Verizon gets its 4G LTE service, into many of the areas like it has 3G coverage, AT&T will never catch up. I cannot see any reason for AT&T to spend the $40 billion for T-Mobile and then another 10 to $20 billion to roll out 4G LTE. While T-Mobile may have more spectrum, it's being used for GSM Edge and HSPA in the current moment and couldn't possibly use it for LTE unless they decommission the GSM services on those bands. It's great for AT&T, which doesn't use those bands, but is really bad for current T-Mobile phones. Great podcast, Ian. Well, Ian's got some great, great comments there, and uh, we'll we'll take on some of those with what's going on uh, in the next uh, question that we have here. But uh, I want to just briefly talk about what's happening here with AT and T and T Mobile and the actual coverage because you bring up a good point. T-Mobile's purchase for nearly forty billion dollars could potentially go through here uh, in in early twenty twelve, but. That doesn't mean that, you know, as soon as that happens, a switch is going to be flipped and they're going to be able to use all of that spectrum uh, to be able to roll out this new LTE network and and to do things to upgrade their network. It's not going to be like that. Uh, You've got a lot of people that are still using the services and it's going to be a gradual thing where they eventually move people off of the services. But this is this is years. I mean, we're talking two to three years. Uh, De La Vega last week mentioned it. He said it's going to take us a couple of years to catch up with the rollout that Verizon has Uh, in the meantime though, of course, they're focusing their attention on HSPA and what they can do with with their quote-unquote 4G network that's out there. Um, I saw some interesting takes this week on a new rocket stick that T-Mobile has, just as an aside. Matt Miller, uh, that we've had on the Unlock show, he was doing some testing with it, and he said that the overall speeds, download speeds, were actually quite good. I mean, he saw speeds that were well above 10 megabits per second, and latency was actually quite good, which was something that I um, had, had have seen some issues with, and I still see it, even on HSPA here um, you know, with AT&T. He said on, on, this, on this rocket stick that he was using with T-Mobile, mobile latency was well under 100 milliseconds the issue is upload though the upload speeds are still around a mega mega minute or mega second so um megabit per second it's not really up to the point where we're, we're seeing with lte and and so it's not an apples to apples comparison yet and yes speed is getting there latency is getting there but it's not like what lte is bringing and and it's i absolutely agree with you ian roll out a 4G network in the areas where Verizon has 3G coverage, and you're going to see a lot of happy people. It's it's really, I think, going to make a big impact on, on how people are choosing the 4G network to go with. Well, and that will be, you know, they're the same technology, so, you know, there should be somewhat similar in their implementation and speeds and latency, and, and that would be a good strategy to go with for AT&T to, uh, you know, get the jump on those markets. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. So uh, relating to your actual usage here, let me read this next one here. And so this is a question from Dr. Mark. He says, uh, Mickey and Joey, love the show. I was listening to the last, latest podcast, and you spoke about data usage per operating system. If you take the top four operating system, Android's 36% market share at 582 megabytes per month, iOS's 26% market share at 492 megabytes per month, and BlackBerry's 23% market share at 127 megs a month, Windows, phone, Windows Mobile at 9% at only 174 megs a month, and average them out, it comes out to 406 megs a month or 13 megabytes per day. The carriers have been telling us that unlimited plans really have a cap of 5 gigs with the exception of Sprint's 4G, uh, but it, it, we've been using less than 10% of this if you go with that 400 megs a month. Uh, this even includes the data hogs. I think that the all-you-can-eat buffet would love to have a similar business model if they sold the all-you-can-eat and they only averaged one plate of food per person, uh, despite the, cl- the carrier claims about heavy network usage and ha- have plans to go on a tiered pricing structure. Uh, this, is, this is pretty interesting. What are your thoughts on this? Thanks, Mark. Well, I know when I go to a buffet, I hardly eat more than one plate. It's more like uh, maybe a plate and a half at the actual uh, absolute most. So, and it's probably they may not be that far off on the uh, the all you can eat buffet. However, I know there's uh, quite a tie in with the uh, earlier question here. Yeah, absolutely. And and what I wanted to point out was, you know, as Mark is is kind of pointing out that the fact that that over all of the smartphones today, we're seeing an average of about 400 megabytes per month or less than 14 megabytes per day. It's it's really not all that much. And and Ian comments on how you know, the, if we see these unlimited data plans go away, who's going to, how is this going to be affected? Um, you know, if you can share a plan, is that going to be okay? Well, if you take an average, you know, group of people and the average uh, family that has, let's say, three smartphone lines, between all three of them, they're only using, you know, 1.2 megs of data per month. Yes, I understand that's increasing. Um, but, you know, you can get away with a two gigabyte plan for three people. You don't need to have three two gigabyte plans. You can all share that data. It's kind of like this with minutes, right? Everyone had 500 minutes a month. Now, I share 500 minutes a month, and I'm perfectly fine with that. I'm probably okay with the data. I'll have to work on some things, you know, making sure that I'm I'm not... Uh, I, I don't want to say that I don't care about it, but I don't. I don't even really think about it. Sometimes I'll turn off my Wi-Fi, and it'll go days before I turn it back on just because I'll forget about it. Um, I, I just do whatever I do, and... Um, it's, it's usually okay. Uh, I do notice that my performance is better on Wi-Fi. So typically it's when I'm doing something like flipping through web pages and I, I want to go quicker, I'll, I'll make sure that the Wi-Fi is on. But other than that, I don't really care. And so, you know, the, the one to two gigabyte per month range is usually where I sit, which isn't that big of a deal. I could get by with a higher AT&T plan, but like you, Ian, six to 11 gigs a month, uh, really you're sitting there at a point where the carrier could come to you and say, we don't want you using this much data. We're going to cut you off right now. Yeah, and that is a risk you've got with that much data going. And, and you know, you may not have a choice. You know, that like you said, you can offload some of this with Wi-Fi, which has been a, a really big uh, deal with, with uh, AT&T, in especially some crowded areas. They like to just put Wi-Fi in its place to offload that data, which, of course, isn't all bad because, like you said, it is faster usually. And uh, also then we've got, uh, we, we've got the, the, the flip side here. You've got Wi-Fi to help reduce the load on the cell network, but then again, we've got more and more data using services. We've got more and more uh, sophisticated photo sharing. We've got more and more uh, things like the iCloud that'll be coming. Obviously not all that's 3G. Some of it will be, some of it won't be. We've got more and more streaming video. We have more and more Netflix capable devices like the Nexus S and a few others that they added. I was using, you know, the 3G and using the, uh, the, the Netflix app on that and 
absolutely love that. We've got more and more data and the usage uh, of data is where the carriers are really afraid because the, 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 the curve is just shooting up just exponentially for the amount of mobile data. And that's where the risk is. It's not the current use, not the use today, but what it's going to be next month, next year, a couple of years from now. That's where the, the, that's why they're trying to ratchet this down to limit the plans right now because before it gets way too out of control, before the networks just come to a grinding halt completely uh, based on the, the amount of usage uh, the, that the users are using. Yeah, i.e. CES 2011 for AT&T, right? I mean, nothing. You, you were you were lucky if you've got more than like two bits of data in an hour on that thing on the GPRS that it switched to occasionally, but mostly it was just zero zip, nothing. Yeah, just absolutely worthless. And and that's that's a more of a, a function of what's going on with you know the environment and how many people are around. But you know, 100 million users on Verizon seem to kind of you know coexist peacefully whereas AT&T it's like havoc you know you go into a stadium of people and AT&T just just falls apart i mean you, you or a convention center i'm not going to say that Verizon is absolutely perfect and it's going to you know it's going to save the day or that their service is is you know going is that much better but i can make calls on Verizon at CES i could get my emails i could send blackberry messages uh, joey you could as well um yep Yep, so, on Sprint. so yes, it, it was definitely uh, AT&T was definitely having issues. I mean, and obviously you can attribute it a, a good chunk to the iPhone, but it doesn't explain why the network is just non-existent at that point. It just doesn't. And, you know, I'm as, as I'm looking here now at, at Android's market share, you know, they're using almost 100 megabytes of data more a month. You know, that's that's significant. And, and they're a 36 percent share of the market versus iOS is 26%. So you've got more Android devices using more data and there's networks out there like Verizon's who are have the brunt of those devices here in the US specifically and, and they're fine, you know, no problems. Sprint as well. Sprint uh, seems to to kind of carry on okay. Um, you know, not to not to get into AT&T bashing here, but this is these are some of the the big things that have to come on and and I know AT&T spending a lot of money. In fact, I've seen the investments that they've had here. I think I've mentioned it a few weeks ago. Um, Phoenix is one of the biggest markets they're investing in over the the, the next year. A uh, hundred new towers, which is the most out of any city in the entire country. Um, and you know, which if they placed properly, uh, we're only about a hundred square mile city uh, or a hundred miles end to end. It's more than hundred square miles, of course. Hundred miles end to end. So you're talking about almost. I don't know how many towers they have here, but a, a very significant increase. Um, I've seen it. I can actually use my phone at my local Chipotle now. Uh, I've never been able to use my phone there before. I can I can actually use it now to, to you know for data and stuff. And um, speeds have been getting better, so I can see them and the investments that they're making are happening. Um, I I just really hope that over time, as as we we transition, as you mentioned, Mark, uh, over to these tiered plans, uh, these shared data plans. They are in line with what people are actually going to be using, um, you know, and, and we're going to have to figure out some things like offloading onto Wi-Fi and, and, and doing those types of things um, to make everything kind of line up and work peacefully together. So anyway, but uh, thanks both Ian and Mark for their questions this week because they, they nicely tied together. If you have a question for us, you can send us an email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or if you'd like to give us a call and leave a voicemail, do so 206-203-3734 or send us a text message to 775-773-TCPJ. That's 8275. You can follow us on Twitter and all the stories that we talk about on the show at, uh, when I say Twitter first, twitter.com slash cell phone junkie or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the cell phone junkie. 
So Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.